Caucus Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Truce extended. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka on this Tuesday, November 28th. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. The break in fighting between Israel and Hamas is now in its fifth day as each side agrees to release more hostages and prisoners. New numbers from CME Group indicate a 52% chance the Fed will lower interest rates by May of next year. A Vermont man is charged with attempted murder for the shooting of three college students in Burlington. It's being investigated as a hate crime. And why nobody seems interested in being the boss. Being the boss, middle managers, managers are getting squeezed. They're having to do more with less. They're having to lay people off and not replace them. They're getting squashed between the expectations of upper management and what the younger generations or, or lower levels want. And so it's kind of a no a no win position right now. Career expert Julie Bauke on a new survey that finds a succession gap thanks to individual contributors wishing to stay in place. The pause in the Middle East war continues. Israel and Hamas have agreed to a two-day extension of their truce in Gaza to allow for the release of more Israeli hostages after seven weeks of fighting. Today is day five of the truce as the two sides completed the release of Israeli hostages and detained Palestinians. Israel said 11 Israelis had returned to the country from the Gaza Strip yesterday, bringing the total of Israeli and foreign hostages the Palestinian group has freed to 69. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says the White House has no say in which hostages get released. The lists are developed by Hamas, uh, and then, of course, there's the Israelis develop their list of Palestinian prisons that they're going to release. And we're not involved in the specific drafting of the lists and the determination on Hamas's side of who's going to come out on any given day. Hamas took about 240 hostages during the October 7th terror attacks on southern Israel that killed 1,200, prompting Israel to retaliate. Israel previously said it would extend the truce by one day for every 10 more hostages released. The man arrested in connection with the shooting of three young men of Palestinian descent in Burlington, Vermont, has been charged with three counts of attempted murder. 48-year-old Jason Eaton pleaded not guilty at a hearing yesterday. He was arrested near the location of the shooting Sunday. Chittenden County State's attorney Sarah George says local law enforcement officials have not yet found evidence the shooting was a hate crime. I do want to be clear that there is no question this was a hateful act. We currently live in a world of divisiveness and hate rather than inclusion and love. Police say the victims, who are all 20 years old, were being treated for injuries at a local hospital. Two were in stable condition, while the other had more serious injuries. The students attend Brown University, Haverford College in Pennsylvania, and Trinity College in Connecticut. If convicted, Mr. Eaton could get life in prison. There are a handful of legal developments involving former President Trump and his court cases. A roundup from this morning's Mike Gavin. In his election interference case in Washington, a judge yesterday rejected a request by Trump's lawyers to see records from the congressional investigation by House Democrats of the attack on the U.S. Capitol. The judge found that Trump has not sufficiently justified his request for information. Elsewhere, Trump's lawyers will call him back to the stand to testify in his New York civil fraud trial on December 11th. Also in that case, his lawyers urged an appeals court to continue blocking a gag order previously imposed. 
Gordon. Thank you, Mike. In the civil fraud trial, the judge had placed a series of restrictions on Trump and his lawyers to prevent them from commenting on court staff. The restrictions came after the former president posted a picture of law clerk Allison Greenfield that falsely accused her of being Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's girlfriend. Did you know traditional bedsheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle-Made bedsheets. Miracle-Made uses silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle-Made is self-cleaning, self-cooling, luxurious, eco-friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Tuesday. President Biden yesterday announced dozens of new policy initiatives designed to strengthen the U.S. supply chain. Today, our supply chains are stronger than ever, with backlogs, bottlenecks, and shipping rates at a 25-year low. Among the new White House initiatives... $275 million from the Energy Department for clean energy efforts in communities affected by coal mine or coal power plant closures. Meanwhile, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell signaled an important shift recently when he said the central bank didn't necessarily have to worry about stronger growth feeding through to higher prices. The reason? The U.S. economy's speed limit, known as potential growth, appears to have temporarily moved up thanks to easing bottlenecks in the supply chain. An explainer from Nick Timoros, chief economics correspondent at the Wall Street Journal. Nick, explain. Well, inflation has come off uh, considerably over the last four or five months. And one of the big reasons that inflation is, is coming down is that we've had a positive response from the supply side of the economy. What does that mean? It means that um, you know there, there are more workers available to work. There are more um, cars available to purchase. The bottlenecks and the shortages that really hamstrung the economy and sent prices up over the last two and a half years are working their way uh, out now. And so you haven't had to see the sort of uh, big declines in demand that some economists predicted you would need to get prices down. A lot of the time you have inflation as high as it was. You have to have a recession to bring inflation down. And obviously we haven't had a recession yet but inflation is coming down. And so you can really see the supply side of the economy doing a lot of the work. Okay, and that is basically what Fed officials feel is needed, right? That was, I think Chairman Powell said something like, uh, the economy needs to grow, quote, below potential. Yeah, and and he made a very subtle but significant shift in those comments a couple of weeks ago. For the last year, he has been talking about this idea that the economy needs to grow below its trend rate over the long run. Economists think that for the U.S. economy, trend growth is around 2%. So you would need to see growth below 2% to achieve a slowdown in inflation. But obviously that hasn't happened. For the last couple quarters, the economy has been growing above 2%. We grew at nearly a 5% annualized rate 
in the third quarter and inflation came down. So how do you explain that? Well, Powell said that, you know, there are times where the potential growth rate of the economy might actually be above 2%. And so you would only need to be growing somewhat below that potential growth rate. Uh, you could have above 2% growth and still bring down inflation. And, and indeed, uh, that's what we've been seeing over the past few months. Hmm. We're speaking with Nick Timoros, chief economics correspondent at the Wall Street Journal. His story is called The Hidden Hero Fueling Soft Landing Hopes, a Boost in Supply. Um, how do things like productivity, wages, or employment tie into supply? Well, if you go back a year ago, the Fed was worried that not only did we have high inflation, but they were worried that higher inflation might be sustained because in a tight labor market, you would see uh, continued pressure on wages. And so if companies have to keep wages high, they might pass that along in the form of higher prices. Also, Warden, if incomes are growing strongly, that's putting money in people's pockets. They can keep spending and so you're not going to get the slowdown in demand to bring prices down. But what's happened this year has been we saw a big increase in foreign-born employment as uh, immigration began to pick back up. And so if you have sort of this relief valve in the form of, of uh, supply of workers coming into the market, that can take pressure off of wages without having to have as extreme a slowdown in demand. Really, you would see an increase in the unemployment rate, and you haven't had to see a big increase in the unemployment rate to have wage growth slow down this year. Productivity or the output per hour worked, uh, if workers are more productive, that can also bring wage growth down uh, without having to have a big increase in layoffs. So can supplies as they are then be sustained? Yeah, I think the big question going forward is in 2023, the supply side helped bring down inflation. Will that continue in 2024? If it does, then it means not only is the Fed done raising interest rates, but the conversation can shift sooner at some point next year to when the Fed might be able to take back some of their increases mm. by lowering rates. Thanks, Nick. Nick Timoros, Chief Economics Correspondent at the Wall Street Journal. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning. Here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The humanitarian truce that has brought a pause to the fighting in the Gaza Strip has entered its fifth day after a two-day extension was announced Monday. The extension raises hopes that Hamas will release more than the 69 hostages it has released so far and returned out of the nearly 240 captives it has held since October 7th. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. You have to expect a group like Hamas, a terrorist group, uh, which clearly doesn't abide by laws of war, will try to take advantage of any pause in the fighting for their own benefit. So we're watching that closely as well as our Israeli counterparts. You can, you can bet that they're watching that closely. Israel has previously said it would consider lengthening the humanitarian pause in fighting by one day for every 10 freed hostages. Number two. A federal judge has denied a request by Donald Trump to issue subpoenas for records related to a select House committee that investigated the January 6th Capitol riot. Trump was seeking the subpoenas as part of his defense to criminal charges related to his attempt to reverse his loss in the 2020 election. In her order denying the subpoenas, Judge Tanya Chutkin suggested that Trump's lawyers were engaged in a fishing expedition with their request. Number three. Sandy Hook families who won nearly one and a half billion dollars in legal judgments against conspiracy theorist 
Alex Jones for calling the 2012 Connecticut school shooting a hoax, have offered to settle that debt for only pennies on the dollar, at least $85 million over 10 years. The offer was made in Jones's personal bankruptcy case in Houston last week, but the attorneys continued to accuse the InfoWars host of failing to curb his personal spending and extravagant lifestyle, refusing to sell assets and failing to produce certain financial documents. A court in Moscow today extended the detention of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, arrested on espionage charges until January 30th. The hearing took place behind closed doors because authorities claim details of the criminal case against the journalist are classified. The 32-year-old has been detained since March. After shoppers spent billions on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, there's hope that the holiday hall for nonprofits will also be generous today, Giving Tuesday, and throughout the year-end charitable giving season. That would be a welcome development for charities that have been burned by inflation and experienced an overall drop in donations last year. Analysts say the indicators are very positive around a strong giving season this year. All right. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for being with us. With the psychological stakes so high at the holidays, many of us spend beyond our gift-giving means. The obvious solution? Set a budget and stick to it. But where to start? Here's Dan Divizet, personal finance reporter at USA Today. Dan, 7 in 10, expect to overspend? I plan to overspend. I, I always plan to overspend. It's, it's an emotional time <laughs> trying to buy gifts at the holidays. You never feel like you can spend enough. I, I personally am always feeling guilty. I, I feel like there, it isn't possible to buy too many gifts for the holidays. And so I'm one of those. I promise you I will overspend this year. <laughs> All right, so then you say, listen, the next logical step, the solution here, just set a budget and stick to it. Uh, sounds great in principle, but not always easy to put into effect. What do you recommend here? You know, where do you even start? Um, and I, I, I did some searching and found that a few sites that are good sites actually do offer some starting points for budgeting. Um, there's a company called Clearpoint, which is a nonprofit credit counselor. And they come up, came up with a really simple thing, which is maybe plan to spend one and a half percent of your total annual income. So if you earn $75,000 a year, which is about the average American family, that works out to $1,125. And then you can use these little sliding buttons to allocate those funds. I'm thinking of gifts, but you might also throw a party or two. You might want to make a donation. You might be dri- driving to, to grandmother's house, you know, so it allows you to do all that. So that's a good start. I like the idea of ranking the recipients. Oh, Wired Magazine has a wonderful and wonderfully logical holiday gift calculator. It says you start out by inputting a budget and then there's all this math. You assign each of your loved ones a rank from 1 to 10, where 10 is your beloved partner and 1 is a nephew you don't really care for that much. (laughs) And then you do some multiplication and basically you'd have to look up the math, but you figure out a way to allocate you know, 1x to that least loved nephew and 10x to your partner or spouse. And it's a pretty good way to divvy up the money. And again, it's just, it gives you a start and gives you some help. And to avoid awkwardness at holiday meals, let's not share that list. No, do not let it fall (laughs) prey into the wrong hands. It's almost like you need a performance review for for each recipient. It was a good year for the nephew who's normally weak. He goes from a one to a two. (laughs) That's right. Like, yeah. (laughs) We're speaking with Dan Divizet, personal finance reporter at USA Today. His story is called Afraid of Overspending on Holiday Gifts, Set a Budget. And he's gotten pretty deep into how to do it. What, what was the uh, the 50-30-20 rule that you went through? 
Oh, uh, Nerd Wallet. Uh, Kimberly Palmer uh, spoke about this. The idea here is that 50% of your take-home pay is needs. It just goes to cover stuff like food and shelter. 30% is quote-unquote wants. That's your Taylor Swift tickets. And 20%, the remainder, is to debt repayment and savings. So what Kimberly says is that 30% of wants, discretionary stuff, dinners out, theater, so forth, that's where you carve out your holiday budget. Dan DeVizet, personal finance reporter at USA Today. Exclusive stories and unique perspectives. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Tuesday, November 28. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka, some of our top stories and headlines. A truce between Israel and Hamas is extended. Vermont man charged with attempted murder for the shooting of three college students. A judge denies a Trump request for January 6th committee records. Tribute service today for former First Lady Rosalind Carter. A Wall Street Journal test found Instagram's algorithm sends overtly sexual content to children. Without a touchdown, the Bears beat the Vikings in Monday Night Football. And what happened when Elvis the dog was the only pet not taken at an adoption event? That story in about 20 minutes. How come nobody wants to be the boss anymore? A new study from Vizier finds workers are beginning to draw a firm line between their jobs and personal lives with employee ambitions for raises and promotions declining compared to lifestyle and wellness goals. Analysis from Julie Bauke, career expert known as Julie on the job. Julie, what's going on? You know, this is one of those things that when you look at all the topics we've covered here, uh, especially since the pandemic, there really should be no surprise. In fact, this stat backs up anecdotally all the conversations I'm having with younger people. First of all, you know, being the boss, middle managers, managers are getting squeezed. They're having to do more with less. They're having to lay people off and not replace them. They're getting squashed between the expectations of upper management and what the younger generations or, or lower levels want. And so it's kind of a no a no win position right now. And so no wonder people are looking at it and saying, wait a minute, okay, so I get twice the headaches at least, maybe a little bit more pay. Now tell me exactly why this is a good deal. Um, so that's, so, that, that's yeah. not, are, are we talking about, say, a, a younger person with like a, um, I don't know, an unexpected opportunity who doesn't want to be a manager? Like, is it, is it a today mindset of young workers, I guess is my question. It's the today mindset of okay. young workers. Um, but it's also partly that we're in this real space between the way work used to be and the way work is going to be. And so as we figure this out, it really is the middle, the, 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 let's just call them kind of that mid level of managers that individual contributors would normally be promoted into that. They're looking around and say, they're looking at it and saying, this is not compelling for me. And the whys behind it are so interesting. And I just completed a project with a company where I did some coaching with their younger, with their top talent. And they were generally younger. So let's just say 20s, 30s, maybe early 40s. And the, the so remember, these are people who've been identified as the future leaders of the organization. And probably 10% of those people have said, yes, I can't wait to get to the level and have a team of people I'm managing. Oh, okay. And 10%. the reason, the reason is, and here people have said, you know what? I know they want me to be a people leader right now. 
What's most important to me is being a good parent, being a good partner, um, being available to coach my kid's soccer team mm -hmm. or pursue interests that I have outside of work. And so when they look at, we've talked forever about how that line between work and the rest of our lives has gone away. That then drives people to look at the picture of their whole life differently than they did before. And when they look at what it would take to amp up their time and energy around work, they look at it and say, I'd have to give something up. And right now, anyway, a lot of young people are saying there's not, I'm not willing to give yeah. anything up. Okay. The cost would be too high is in essence what it is. We're speaking with Julie Pauke, career strategist known as Julie on the job. We're talking about why nobody wants to be a boss anymore. But if you're a middle manager and you're not taking that position, say, to be the boss, are you punching your ticket out of there because you can't grow anymore? Yeah, I mean, you can be. But but we, the older generations, we defined growth as straight up, climbing a ladder, moving to the next level. And the, we are in a situation now where growth does not have to be defined that way. It could be I, I grow horizontally. I have more experiences and expertise that can help us in a different way than just having people report to me. So it's, I think organizations as we move into this new workplace and as more millennials take over leadership roles and are able to do it differently, they will. Oh, is, but if you are in the, an organization that has a very top-down approach and everything's a ladder, then yeah, people are going to check out, they're going to stay, they're going to choose to stay in individual contributor roles, or they're going to quit and you know completely reinvent themselves. Mm. All right. Because they have options where we didn't yeah. in the past. Yeah. If um, so, if if this particular group you just worked with, there's 10% interest in becoming a boss. What's that percentage? I don't know. 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, it was probably, I guess it was probably 70 to 75%. <gasps> Man, really? Think, yeah, when I think about, so I think back when you say 30 years ago, I think about my career in human resources. And it was so different. People were clamoring to get promoted, to become a manager, become a supervisor, whether or not they were qualified or they actually knew what they were asking for. Thanks, Julie. Julie Bauke, career expert known as Julie on the job. Thanks for spending time with us. Time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, it's prime leaf raking season for much of the country, and even that can lead to some tense moments between neighbors. One unidentified man told the story online about how his friend got revenge on his neighbor for being jerky about the leaves. Apparently, the homeowner was out clearing leaves, and a few of them drifted over to his neighbor's driveway. The neighbor, who doesn't even live in the home, spotted the intrusive leaves via his doorbell camera and immediately called the police. When an officer showed up, the annoyed homeowner took the opportunity to tip the cop about the car parked in the absentee neighbor's driveway, which was missing tags and insurance. The police told the neighbor that it was in violation and needed to be registered and insured or moved into a garage or else they'd be back in two weeks to tow it. The homeowner was said to be delighted over his revenge, forcing the neighbor to drive 10 hours to the house to take care of this car over just a few dead leaves. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> I like that. Mess around and find out.
That's what happened there, pretty much. Uh, yeah, and I guess sort of the the kicker here is that this uh, this this person keeps their uh, keeps their yard you know neat and tidy, yeah. while the person next door doesn't even live there, leaves all over the place, ah. and for whatever reason, just decided to to call the police for no no reason at all. Yeah, seems like there's some other history going on with those two, perhaps. Uh, uh, obviously, yes, yeah. but uh, yeah, pretty good revenge. By the way, you can't have a, an unregistered card in your driveway. Apparently, it's on I, your I'm, property. I'm sure what state this is, yeah. but in this particular state, you have to have if it's in the driveway, it has to be insured and tagged. And you can put it in your garage, but if it's in the driveway, mm. it has to have everything insured. That sounds something very New Jersey-ish, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? it could be New Jersey. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I guess this is this <laughs> particular surprised. state is, uh, is a okay. problem for that. And uh, nobody likes the sound of their phone alarm going off in the morning after a too short night of sleep. But you should still be thankful that your phone isn't possessed by a tech-savvy demon. A UK woman has been plagued by a really annoying iPhone glitch for five years that causes her alarm to go off at 9.25 a.m. every day like clockwork, despite the fact that she never scheduled it. She detailed the problem on TikTok, and her videos have well over a million views. The woman named Angelie says that the problem started out of the blue years ago, and Apple employees are baffled as to how to fix it. So you might be saying to yourself, it's been five years, just go get a new phone. Angelie says she's bought new phones, and the problem transfers <laughs> over to her new phone Jeez. along with her data like some kind of demonic possession haunting each new device. Commenters were quick to offer their own remedies, but nothing seemed to work. Angelie says she refuses to do a factory reset of her phone for two reasons. One, the alarm, though really annoying, is not bad enough to lose everything she has. And two, if she factory resets, the alarm wins. Oh, it's personal <laughs> now for Angelie. It has gotten yeah. personal at this point. That is weird. Uh, yeah. As somebody suggested uh, in the comments uh, maybe it was a hack of some kind that got installed or some calendar event on maybe her watch or iPad or other device that she hasn't taken on. Right, right. She says no, no, no to all she, those things. She so. keeps trying and yeah. uh, everything, uh, nothing works at all. By the way, so I downloaded the new iOS update yes. yesterday, mm -hmm. and so I use a timer to help me wake up in the morning. It's okay. like a backup, right? So I set it for six hours or whatever, but it doesn't any longer indicate what time of day the timer is going to go off. No. So I don't like that. I don't <laughs> like that update. So you just have no idea it's so it could go off at any time? So my math has to be really good about oh. setting the timer for my precise wake-up time. Yikes. We are a radio guy. That's probably not That's the exactly. best course of action. That's exactly why I'm in radio, because <laughs> math ain't a strong Hopefully point. Hopefully you show up on time tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. If you didn't shop enough on Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, or Cyber Monday, you have another chance to chase promotions today on Travel Tuesday. Fox News put together a list of ways to take advantage. Number one, sign up for airline email lists. Number two, follow hotels and destinations on social media. And number three, check deals on travel services like Hopper. Separately, CNBC says generally you can expect to find the most enticing discounts at online travel agencies, which tend to participate more enthusiastically in the event than direct travel providers. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israel and Hamas agreed to a two-day extension of their truce in Gaza to allow for the release of more Israeli hostages as part of a fragile agreement that has brought a pause in the seven-week war. Hamas released another 11 Israeli hostages last night as part of the initial deal. Tal Heinrich is a spokesperson for Israel 
Israel's prime minister. Hamas only responds to pressure. That's the only thing that works. Only thanks to military pressure and diplomatic pressure that we exerted in various ways, we have seen the release of these hostages and we will continue with this pressure. But there's also rising international pressure on Israel, whose military offensive has caused thousands of civilian casualties in the enclave, triggered a spiraling humanitarian crisis and forced most of the two million residents from their homes. Number two. The suspect accused of shooting and wounding three 20-year-old men of Palestinian descent in Burlington, Vermont, Saturday evening, opened a door Sunday to find federal agents who were searching for him and told the agents he'd been waiting for them. 48-year-old Jason Eaton then told the agents he'd like an attorney. He was arrested and has been charged with three counts of attempted murder. Chittenden County State's Attorney Sarah George. My office joins the community in the outrage over the gun violence we are experiencing in our community and our state. We join in the outrage over the hate and inhumanity shown to Hasham, Tassin, and Kanan. In court yesterday, Eaton pleaded not guilty and was ordered held without bail. Number three. A passenger believed to be having a mental health emergency exited a Southwest Airlines plane through the emergency door while the plane was not moving and still at the gate on Sunday at Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport. The unidentified 38-year-old man climbed onto the plane's wing, jumped to the ground, and was captured by ground personnel. Authorities say when deputies made contact with him, he was incoherent and not fully aware of his surroundings. He was transported to a local hospital for evaluation. A two-year-old Kentucky girl proved she has intelligence beyond her years by becoming the youngest ever member of High IQ Society Mensa. Guinness World Records says Isla McNabb of Crestwood was accepted into Mensa after scoring in the 99th percentile for her age group on an intelligence test. Her parents say Isla learned the alphabet at the age of 18 months and was reading soon thereafter. Hope she runs for office and she's vice president at the age of three of Mensa or something like <laughs> that. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Hey, it's Gordon Deal, your personal HelloFresh holiday helper. Seriously, make your holiday festivities stand out with HelloFresh with over 45 scrumptious recipes that will impress at your party. This season, indulge in the joy of cooking made simple. HelloFresh delivers right to your door so it's convenient and saves time. And with the very specific step-by-step instructions from HelloFresh, it's easy for someone with zero kitchen skills like me to follow along. Make it the tastiest holiday season yet with HelloFresh. HelloFresh lets me ditch the store run. No stressing about running back and forth or worrying about forgetting something. Their farm-fresh and pre-portioned ingredients make cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free and use code Gordon Free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free with the code Gordon Free. Unleash the tasty seasonal flavors from America's number one meal kit. Order HelloFresh today at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free. Thanks for being with us. There was just one dog left behind, and his name was Elvis. The Washington Post says the other 61 dogs and cats at the Chicago Shelter event were adopted on the same day, leaving Elvis, a white and gray pit bull terrier mix, the only pet sent back to the shelter. The animal rescue organization Anti-Cruelty Society took to Facebook the following day, calling Elvis a three-year-old meatball and a cuddler. He's potty trained and crate trained. Well, Lauren Agron got wind of the post and felt a connection since he's an Elvis impersonator at a 1950s-themed diner. Mr. Agron, who's 39, went to the shelter the following day to meet Elvis and play with him. The connection, they say, was instant. 
So he and his partner adopted Elvis that day, prompting the Anti-Cruelty Society to post on Facebook that, quote, Elvis has left the building. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.